Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you once again for joining us on the program, and I, I trust that you are following us um, every week if you possibly can, because we are just systematically, chapter after chapter, have been trying to show at least why we believe what we believe to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. I know a lot of people that would try to shoot down perhaps the things that we're saying, and when you ask them questions, they haven't even got a clue where the Scripture's at, yet alone to have done the extensive amount of work that I've done, and I believe uh, bringing some kind of a, I think, clear understanding to the book of Revelation in that uh, most of it have been fulfilled in the first century between 30 A.D. and 70 A.D. Those were the biblical last days. I think that's incredibly good news. What we did in the last segment was we dealt with the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, and we shared with you concerning the rider on the white horse. And we're going to pick up back there again, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11 of Revelation, the 19th chapter. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and, the, and, and, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. He has on his, 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 his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, gather yourselves to the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of him that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both small, both bond and, and free, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped the image. Both these were cast alive into the lake of burning fire, or lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which proceeded out of his mouth. Let me come back and see if I can get this a little bit verse by verse, a little bit and... Uh, uh, the first thing I want you to see is, of course, the rider on this white horse can be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's pretty indisputable from any camp. He's literally got a sword coming out of his mouth. Uh, he's got eyes that are like a flame of fire. He's got many crowns on his head. Anybody, I think, with any kind of spiritual discernment at all can see that this is not a literal white horse that Jesus is flying down through the heavens. Uh, uh, literally riding on. If the sword coming out of his mouth represents the Word of God, you're already in the context of something that he's giving symbolically, very much symbolically. His eyes be the flame of fire. All of these things can be found also in Revelation chapter number 1 when he tells them that he, his eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass. He's got a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. All of these are incredibly prophetical symbols of the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will also see, I think, some of the things declared in, in this as well. You see, uh, like for instance, he'll say to them, uh, 
in, uh, like in the book of Revelation in, uh, the t- to some of the seven churches, he will say to them, uh, to him that overcometh, will I give power over the nations. Uh, then he will say to another church, I'm the one who has eyes like a flame of fire uh, uh, or feet like fine breath. He reveals himself to these seven churches in some aspect because he includes them in the triumph of his final victory because he says to one of the churches, for instance, uh, uh, to him that overcometh, I'll gr- give him power over the nations. And he'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's a promise he gives to those who overcome. So part of this army that's following him is a heavenly army, but it's also the army of God that's in the earth and the people of God that follow him in this victory who, uh, you know, he says to them, if, you know, if you don't, I will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. And I said to you in an earlier segment, this sword has two edges. One is a side of judgment if you're against him or an enemy of the cross or an enemy of Christ, then this sword is against you. But if you're a believer, this sword is for you. It is a sharp two-edged sword that flows from rest. And Hebrews 4 tells us it's the Word of God. So it speaks to me of, 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 of both the armies of the invisible realms of the heavens as the angels And I shared with you in the last segment that in Matthew 13, he sends forth his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they gather together. That can be angels both visible and invisible, both in heaven and in earth, because we see also in the book of Revelation, he writes this to the angel of the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church at Sardis. So these angels that are there are not necessarily fat babies with wings, but they're the pastors or the leaders of these seven churches. So I see it as both. I see it both the armies of heaven that help execute the judgment because they are sent forth in the earth to minister for us who are the heirs of salvation. But as us, as the messengers of God, we are also sent forth into the earth to rule and to reign and to uh, rule the nations with a rod of iron, to rule it with the word that flows from the sword of his mouth. And, uh, you, you know, you're going down through, he's got, he's got eyes like a flame of fire. He's got many crowns. That means he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's got a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. Uh, the armies which are heaven followed him. They were clothed in fine linen. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, and he tra- treads the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. He already did that in Isaiah 63. Uh, I believe that identifies with the cross. When he says to them, you know, I have trampled out the vintage uh, where the grapes of wrath are stored and I've trampled out the winepress, there was none with me and my garments were stained with blood. I believe that's him in the work of the cross being, first of all, finalizing his victory outside the camp where uh, he trampled out the winepress. I also think that historically it was fulfilled when he allowed the Roman armies to trample out Uh, the enemies of the cross and the enemies of Christ and uh, his garments were stained with the blood of all of his enemies. And there's several things that could be said about that. But he goes on to say, the one I want to get to, if I don't get to anything else, is the angel standing in the sun cried with a loud voice saying, to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come gather yourself to the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, captains, mighty men, the flesh of horses. Now I think that this is... uh, in my notes, I put this. I said, the calling of the birds for the supper of the great God is no doubt intended as a contrast to the marriage feast in chapter 19. There are, in chapter 19, it is the story of two suppers. The contrast is one is a joyous marriage feast and the other is a carnage of vultures. Which side 
of this feast are you on? But uh, those who become food for the birds, uh, as Israel did in A.D. 70, remind me of the basic cur uh, curses of the covenant of the old covenant of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 26 through 49, where uh, that the covenant of a curse would be that they would be eaten with birds. Uh, there is no longer anyone who can drive away these birds that have come uh, in carnage. Now, one of the things that uh, I want you to see also is that Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 28 declares this. Let me see if I can find it for you very quickly. Matthew 24, Jesus had prophesied of the coming woes and judgments that were coming upon apostate Israel. And in chapter 24, in verse number 28, this is the words of Jesus. Let me get it here very quickly. It says, for wherever, well, let me ask, get this. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together immediately after those the tribulation of day, those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And, uh, and uh, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And then he will send forth his, uh, and, and they shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to other. And uh, then they asked him, uh, where will they be gathered? He said, wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles or the vultures be gathered together. Now, once again, I've already shared with you multiple times throughout the Word of God, a cloud coming was a coming in judgment. God would say, I mean, several places throughout the Scripture, He makes the chariots, uh, uh, the wind His chariots. He flies upon the wings of the wind. He comes on the clouds. And when He comes on the clouds, He always comes in judgment. I believe Psalm 18 is one of the verses if you want to go look at him coming in clouds of judgment. But to the Jewish mind, this is not a foreign concept. When Jesus tells them uh, in Matthew 24, the sign of his coming, what will be the sign of your coming? If, if it was so uh, readily uh, uh, clear, you wouldn't need a sign. But the coming would be that all the tribes of the earth would mourn because of him. You see him say that also in Revelation chapter, 20, or chapter 1 where he says, uh, Behold, I come quickly, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And he says to them in chapter 1 that that was going to take place shortly. And so when you see these things in fulfillment of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that this would happen before this generation standing on planet earth right then, would happen during this period of time that he's already doing a gathering and he's gathering his wheat into his barn. I shared that last week when Matthew 13 is he gathers the wheat into the barn, he burns the tares with unquenchable fire. The wheat are the children of the kingdom, the tares were the children of the wicked one, and they were burned with fire. Literally, the city of, was burned with a fire. Now there's carnage everywhere. And then he says again in Matthew 24, uh, where, wherever the carcass is, there will the all eagles or the vultures be gathered together. It is amazing to me that the standard or the symbol on the Roman army banners was that of a vulture. And what he was saying is that the carnage of this apostate slain harlot whore system that we talked about in 18 of Revelation is now being literally devoured. He's calling the vultures to circle her and now Jerusalem is encompassed with armies. Jerusalem is about to be burnt with an unquenchable fire 
the vultures are about to devour much flesh. They're being, they are being invited to the supper of the great God because upon the heels of this great harlot system being destroyed and devoured, as soon as she's devoured and these fowls are filled with her flesh, then he sings, hallelujah, now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God and the marriage of the Lamb for his bride has made herself ready. This is not in our future, folks. It is stuff that was absolutely, completely, and totally fulfilled. I mean, clear down to the birds of prey, being Israel, being the sacrificial corpse, and now all the fowls that are flying in the midst of the heavens are also uh, now devouring her flesh. I think it is also interesting that in Revelation, the 17th chapter, and verse number 16, that it tells you that this beast, which we've already established as the Romanist East, as the Roman beast, these shall hate the whore, and these will devour her flesh. So again, the connection is made to the Roman armies, and the fowls that fly in the midst of the heavens are those that are eating the carnage, and the, prey, the birds of prey uh, are, 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 the, are, are uh, you know, uh, literally, these Romans are literally uh, devouring much flesh as they are, uh, you know, uh, destroying this natural apostate Israel. Josephus writes concerning the carnage, and he said that the blood was so thick that it would literally put out some of the flames and the fires that were, uh, that were burning the houses of these people. And I mean, when you see uh, uh, these things fulfilled in Matthew 24, uh, that it is incredible to me that it's talking about the fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied as the sword of his mouth. It is the fulfillment of the prophetic word of Jesus as he is inviting these fowls to be filled with the flesh of these kings. Uh, I think then that you see, secondly and last but not least, you see that this, 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 uh, this, this, there, there's two beasts in the book of Revelation. One is a land beast, one is a sea beast. You see these Roman armies, these fowls that are being invited to the supper of the great God in fulfillment of the judgments that God, Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 would take place that wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. The Roman vultures, eagles, are now converged upon the end of this whole catastrophe in the book of Revelation. This harlot has been judged. This city has fallen. It's a tale of two cities. Babylon is destroyed. New Jerusalem is about to emerge. One side of the supper of the great God is the one of catastrophe and eating the flesh of kings and captains. The other side of this is a celebration of a wedding feast while some are being brought in, others are being cast out. Those that are being brought in are rejoicing and celebrating the marriage and the feast. Those that are being cast out are weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth. It is the opposite of receiving their inheritance. One is receiving the kingdom prepared for them, the other is being cast out into outer darkness. One is being burnt with an unquenchable fire while the other is being gathered into the barn. One is singing hallelujah, now has come salvation, and the other is experiencing the judgments of the last plagues of the old covenant that God was bringing upon this apostate people who did not receive the blood of the Lamb nor the word of His testimony. Therefore, He brought upon them all the plagues of the book, and God gave them every opportunity for mercy, yet they would not. Therefore, 
their house was left unto them desolate. I think it's also interesting to note that, you know, uh, concerning these armies of heaven that followed him upon white horses, I don't think I brought the note with me, but I certainly uh, have read it on this program before. But during that period of time, from the final days and the closing days of Jerusalem being destroyed, and, and you, you, you owe it to yourself to go write, read the, the War of the Jews by Josephus, because you will see literally, it's almost as if Josephus is writing scripture, and he's really not. He's a historian telling the story as he saw it and perceived it. But he said that during this period of time, of this catastrophe and judgment coming upon the temple being burnt, Jerusalem is on fire. It's an unquenchable fire. It is a fire uh, that came like Sodom and Gomorrah when it was rained fire and brimstone, same terminology. Let me say this to you as well. The word brimstone, I just, did, just found this the other day, but if you take the word brimstone from Revelation here, and you put it in, you take the, the Greek number from Strong's, and you put it on the Englishman's search of the word, which means if you take this number and you search how else is this word translated in the scripture, how else is the word brimstone translated, you will find that the word brimstone is only ever translated as divine divinity or the divine Godhead. So this fire to me is not, it, it, it can be manifest in a literal burning fire like it did with uh, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, but it really is simply symbolic of the divine judgment of God and the heat of His wrath or His passion burning, and on one side it's passion to redeem His people, on the other side it is to destroy the enemies of the cross and the enemies of the people of God who have persecuted the Lamb and made war with the Lamb and tried to, you know, make war with the Lamb. And Daniel said that the Lamb, that the beast would wear out the saints and that there would be given into his hand for a times, times, and a half a times. That was fulfilled completely. And the last three and a half years of the prophecy of Daniel, times, times, and a half a times, for 42 months, the city was trodden underfoot. For 42 months, the Romans were devouring much flesh. For 42 months, the vultures were circling. For 42 months, they are feeding on the carcass of this dead bride harlot system, if you will. Babylon has now become the hold of every foul spirit, the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. It's now devouring much flesh. And uh, while they are doing that in, in the circling of these vultures, and it, 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 uh, that is the divine wrath of God that comes, whether it is manifest from uh, what he said, Sodom and Gomorrah it rained fire and brimstone, or whether the beast is being dealt with by this fire and brimstone, it is the divine divinity of God that is destroying it. I think it's also interesting to note that in Hebrews chapter 12, the last few verses, it says that everything that can be shaken would be shaken. And what was being shaken was that whole system of Judaism. That whole apostate religious system was about to pass away. Animal sacrifice and the whole old covenant economy was about to collapse. And he said that everything that can be shaken would be shaken. And it was the shaking is not out in our future. It was the shaking that was occurring because of the word that was flowing from the heavens. The contrast in Hebrews 12 is you didn't come to Mount Sinai. You didn't come to blackness and darkness. You didn't come to fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. You've come to a feastal gathering of angels. Again, here's this word gathering. We're talking about the angels will gather. 
a feastal gathering of angels. You've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which is written in heaven. He said, see that you refuse not him who speaks from heaven. Him who speaks from heaven is the one who speaks from the new covenant. The contrast here is you didn't come to blackness and darkness. You didn't come to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was where the law was given. There's two mountains here. You didn't come to Mount Sinai, but you've come to Mount Zion. And so he goes on to say, don't refuse him who's speaking to you from heaven. Don't refuse the one who's speaking to you from the new covenant. Don't refuse the one who's speaking to you from this new covenant paradigm. Because if they didn't escape who refused him who spoke on earth, that was Moses. And every trespass had a recompense of reward. He said, you won't escape if you're refusing the one who's talking from heaven. In other words, if you reject this new covenant... If you reject it, if you refuse the one who spoke from heaven, he said, uh, you know, goes on to say that if you refuse him who speaks from heaven, that, uh, that, that there's a just recompense or reward. That was the judgment that was coming upon them right here in 70 AD upon apostate Israel, upon apostate Jerusalem. And he goes on to say, for everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken, but it's going to be shaken if the word spoken from earth shook. That was the word that came from Sinai. How much more will this word speaking from heaven shake everything? This new covenant word, this new covenant coming from Mount Zion was shaking everything. It's still shaking. The word, that, you know, I believe the reason we're persecuted and the reason people fight what we're saying is because this word from heaven will shake every religious system. It exposes every harlot, every system of religion that is a, uh, a daughter of the great whore that we already spoke about was apostate Jerusalem and uh, this whole system of Judaism that was now being judged. Uh, that, that, that this harlot was being judged. But I, see, this word that flows from rest, this word that flows from Zion, exposes everything. And it shakes everything. It shakes your religious concepts. People probably watching me teach this book of Revelation. Your thinking has been shaken. Here's the good news. Only what remains is a kingdom which cannot be removed. And he says, you know, uh, then he says, we need to have grace whereby we may serve God reverently for our God is a consuming fire. This fire that was preceding this brimstone is the divine wrath, the divine fire of God, whatever that all determines throughout eternity, I don't have the full grasp on. All I know is I want to, I want to be on the good side. I do believe, I definitely believe that it is a benefit to be born again, that he that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Uh, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So it is definitely a benefit to be a believer and to be born again and to be on the right side of this fire. But nevertheless, I want to say to you, this rider on this horse is riding throughout the land and he is judging and he is making war, and he is making war with uh, uh, and, and bringing this fire against apostate Israel. He's bringing it against the false prophet and the land beast that looked like a lamb, talked like a dragon. But he's also executing a judgment on this Roman beast, and he's doing it with the sword of his mouth. The word of God will ultimately triumph. I believe in the ultimate triumph of the word. That's why I'm such a stickler for the word, and there's attack right now on the Word of God. People want to try to make the Word of God say, you know, they want to believe this part and say, well, this was not inspired and that was not God. And the truth of it is, is listen, folks, I can't change the Word for you. I'm going to preach it like it is. Now, I do believe when you put it in proper context that that's when it finally makes sense. 
For us as believers, our judgment is not in our future. Our judgment is in our past. I believe that these catastrophes that are declared here and the ultimate triumph of this rider on the white horse is Jesus, who is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords, and that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He continues to reign. His kingdom continues to grow. He continues to make war with the sword of His mouth. He continues to gather His elect. He continues to bring them into His temple, into His synagogue, into relationship with Him and marriage relationship in this new covenant. And I believe that He continues to ride, and the victory continues to be poured out upon a people that will uh, absolutely embrace the victory of this Lamb. I don't know if I've covered everything, but I think I've done a pretty good job on covering everything that I wanted to in these segments concerning the marriage of the Lamb and the bride, and she's made herself ready. We're going to come into the 20th chapter. We probably won't deal with it a lot because we already dealt with chapter 20 uh, when we talk about the judgment. We already talked about that during the 11th chapter. I don't know how much we will or not, but we're going to talk about uh, the city of God coming up. We're going to talk about the Lamb, the, the bride, the Lamb's wife. We're going to talk about now things start to shift from catastrophe, and they start to shift to there is a river that flows from a throne of God that everything it touches will live. The Spirit and the Bride are going to begin to say, come. That's not just somewhere out in our future. They have been saying that for the last 2,000 years. Let him that's thirsty come. Let him drink of the water of life freely, without cost to you. It was paid for in full by Jesus. I just did a series called There's Something in the Water that I think we'll offer maybe later on in the program where I talk about... Uh, let him that drinks of the water of life freely, because when you drink from that water, it will wipe all tears off of all faces. There is a river whereof the streams make glad the city of God. The problem is much of us, many of us, believe we're the river when in fact we're just a stream. And when we begin to come together, we create this great city, the community of faith, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, and we are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Thank you for joining us. We're going to come into the next segment next, uh, the next time. But take a moment to call the number on the screen if you need prayer. If you would like to help us take this kind of a message around the globe, please don't sit on the sideline. I can tell you this. Uh, the support is sometimes very slim coming from television. It is our partners that help us to take this gospel around the world. We need you as a partner or a one-time gift. If you can sow something in the ministry, if you believe in us, get behind what we're doing and support the gospel. And we will deeply appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Until next week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.